Welcome to the Politics NC Podcast. This is Kurt Kovac. Today, in our humble confines, we have Deborah Ross. Deborah, thank you for coming. It is my pleasure. So, first and foremost, Deborah, you most recently ran for the U.S. Senate seat in North Carolina in 2016. Correct. So, what have you been up to since that race? Well, that seems like it was so long ago, Um, but I'm a practicing lawyer, and so I've been representing renewable energy companies and um, infrastructure projects in the state, and I work for a law firm called Fox Rothschild. Um, We just merged with Fox Rothschild at the end of last year. I was formerly with Smithmore Leatherwood. They had offices in four uh, cities in North Carolina. And I taught at UNC, which is how I met you. I was one of the first fellows for the nascent Institute of Politics. And I taught a seminar on economic security and social mobility and the building blocks of economic security and social mobility. We brought in some great speakers. And I loved working with the students um, and have kept in touch with a fair number of them, including you, since then, and have enjoyed my association with the university. I also worked on a lot of campaigns. I was on um, Anita Earle's finance committee and did some stumping for her around the state and helped several of our candidates, helped break the majority. So I've been moving around and there are a few nonprofits I've helped too. I helped the Burning Coal Theater Company here in Raleigh and the Green Chair Project here in Raleigh. So um, I've been having a good time and I got a dog. Oh, that's all. I've seen pictures, so I, I'm, I'm sure that's always a good time. He's a sweetie pie. So I want to revisit the economic security in a second, but with the work you've done on campaigns, how have you seen the political environment change since you ran in 2016 and then we had this most recent elections in 2018? Well, as I think anyone would tell you, the 2016 election was different in many ways from a lot of elections. And in a presidential year, the top of the ticket really sets the tone for everything else. And we all learned that. I think even Governor Cooper learned that when he was running, um, that things were uh, very different, particularly when um, Donald Trump became the Republican nominee. And I think people did not plug in to the wide variety of issues that were going on, that they were more focused at that uh, at that top of the ticket. Um, there was a lot of discontent um, throughout the country. And so that's where we were. And then the minute that election was over, it seemed like the whole country woke up to the need to do more in a variety of areas. And we also heard a lot more from young people. Um, During the 2016 election, I went to a lot of college campuses. I spoke to young people. I promoted um, more access to community college, including free access to community college. So I was all over the state talking about things. But I didn't feel like young people were as engaged in that election, seeing the consequences of it. But the minute that election was over, everybody got involved. And what I've seen since is really, it's encouraging, but it's also energizing because so many people are interested now 
in making a difference in government and paying attention to government. And I I understand that, you know, people are busy and they have other things that they want to do, but I like that folk are woke. Um, and that's, uh, that's what we've been seeing. Well, there is a policy that I've seen, at least from Senator Gillibrand, who just announced she was running for president. And I think it's having young people commit to maybe a year of public service for two years of college or two years of service for Mm -hmm. four years of college, something like that. Do you think, first of all, that's a useful uh, bit of incentive for people if they're going to receive college for free? Do you think there's some purchase there, some buy-in? And then separately from, you know, the college aspect of it, do you think it's good for people to have a bit more of a personal investment in our communities and societies if it's some sort of mandated thing like that? So first, I hadn't heard that Senator Gillibrand had put this forward, but this isn't new. John F. Kennedy put this forward. And um, we had the Peace Corps, and we um, then had AmeriCorps, and all of these different ways, um, Teach for America, all of these different ways to be involved. I think at this point, we have a generation that's interested in participating in our public life and um, would love to be rewarded for that, but would love to be of service. I'm seeing more and more young people wanting to be of service. And so if there are ways to encourage uh, young people to do more in their communities and also get um, more education because we know economic security is directly tied to acquiring skills and higher education, then that's a wonderful thing. It seems like a marriage of two very, very positive things for the future of our country and for this next generation. Right. Okay. Looping back to you were talking about the elections in 2018 and and your work on those uh, some of those campaigns trying to help people break the majority. Now that Democrats have a bit more leverage in the North Carolina General Assembly, how do you see them interacting with the Republicans who who still mm-hmm. do have the majority and then Governor Cooper, who now has his veto back? Right. So I served in the North Carolina House uh, in the session when we had a Democratic governor, Governor Perdue, and the House could sustain a veto. Um, and, and I was a Democratic whip at that time. And so we did have conversations with the majority, with the Republicans, and try to forge alliances. The key issue, though, for the Democrats, in addition to negotiating um, and um, having the governor negotiate, is having their diverse caucus stick together to keep that leverage. And that's always the most difficult thing. Now, the nice thing is both the House and the Senate will have that situation right now. And so that means that there are more opportunities to stop bad things. There's something that's um, kind of a expression at the legislature, just an experience at the legislature, it's easier to kill a bill than to pass a bill. And so if you've got more ways, more levers of power, then you've got more ability to have to um, have the other side listen to you and negotiate. 
But it's going to be a challenge for the Democrats to hold their caucus together. I've read there have been uh, there were a few Democrats who voted for the speaker. The question is, did they why did they do that? Is there some something else that might come out of that? Um, there were some questions about even a veto override vote when um, the Democrats didn't have enough to sustain a veto when Democrats didn't show up and when we when I was the whip and we were in the minority trying to sustain vetoes, you you basically have to keep tabs on every single person and you have to have conversations with them multiple times a day. It's not like just because you have a D or an R by your name, you um, you're guaranteed a certain vote. And so we did a lot of work with Republicans who weren't satisfied with certain legislation. I have. I had a lot of good friends across the aisle, um, and we could work some things out. But it's um, it's not checkers; it's chess, and it's going to require a lot more strategy and basically sweat equity, sweat effort, talking to people, being with people to get things done. Right. Well, and to your point, I know in December some of those last votes were where you had couple Democrats just didn't show up for a vote that was very important or they yeah there were two who voted for Tim Morris speaker which is kind of interesting but two big topics that I've heard a lot about for the upcoming session are expanding Medicaid and maybe independent redistricting so I wanted to see what your thoughts were on either of those how viable one is over the other well I think both of them have legs this session and they would be two of the most important things that the legislature can could do and clearly they would have to be done in a bipartisan way given our divided government the medicaid expansion i was there when um when speaker tillis didn't want us to be able to expand medicaid and um there was a big debate about it. Most of it was the fear of um, the Affordable Care Act. I, I gave a little speech on the floor that it was about fear and loathing, fear of the unknown and loathing of Obama, and I stand by that speech. But I think what people have seen since is that there are aspects of the Affordable Care Act that are very, very beneficial and are really working. But our rural communities are falling behind when it comes to access to medical care. And a lot of that is because of uncompensated care, which basically is uninsured people not being able to pay their bills, rural hospitals not being able to sustain their budgets. And people understand that if more people have access to health insurance, um, even at the lowest levels, that that will create and maintain jobs in rural hospitals. It'll improve healthcare outcomes. And North Carolina, which is giving money to the federal government, will get money back from the federal government in order to take care of our people. And so I think rural legislators, and we saw there was a Republican bill last session that was introduced to expand uh, Medicaid, and it didn't go anywhere, but there are people who are elected regardless of their party care about the people who they represent and more 
and more of Republican legislators from rural areas where they're seeing their hospitals um, suffer and their people suffer, understand that this is a good way to move. And there were Republican governors that did this right after the Affordable Care Act passed. So it's not like uh, North Carolina would be the leader of the pack here. When it comes to redistricting reform, I think that there is redistricting litigation fatigue. Uh, and I think it's on both sides. Um, both sides have, you know, used the power of the pen to punish the other party. Uh, it is more egregious now because of the ability to use these computer models and all the rest. But we've also seen numerous uh, courts striking down um, redistricting plans. And I think that there's some momentum for this. Now, I was in the when I was in the House, we did get a bipartisan um, redistricting bill through. Uh, Representative Skip Stam and I were, were sponsors. There was another Republican sponsor, another Democratic sponsor, but the Senate wouldn't pass it. And I think we're starting to see very much on the House side um, an interest in this again. Uh, I think it will be up to the Senate to decide if this is a way that they want to go. I know that there are a bunch of freshman senators, including freshman Republican senators, who may see things a little differently than their predecessors. And I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist for both. Well, you have to be an optimist sometimes to get through, I guess. Yeah. Um, talking about where we started with economic security, how do you see the economy, and I think more importantly, the individual families and people two years on from the 2016 election and how our economy and how people are doing under this presidency? Well, it's clear that people who are affluent are doing better under President Trump because of the tax cuts. Uh, richer people and um, businesses got tax advantages that were much more significant than the tax advantages for an average family. And then clearly the deficit that it created for the future um, threatens government funding of a wide variety of social safety net programs and even Medicare and Social Security, which is, you know, what people in the main rely on for their economic security when they retire. So we are at a point where people can get jobs, and that's a really, really good thing. It's particularly good for people graduating from college and people graduating from high school because we know that if you get a slow start in your professional career, sometimes there can be a lag for the rest of your career. So those things are good. But what's going on in the stock market in terms of, you know, one day it's up, one day it's way down, these enormous swings, unknowns about our trade policy, the effects of some of the trade sanctions on small businesses, farmers, different industries. There's uncertainty out there. And what we know from history is there's greater economic security when there's greater economic certainty.
And so during a time of uncertainty, people are not willing to make the investments that they have in the past. They want to hunker down. They want to take care of what they need to take care of. We're even seeing in the government shutdown right now that middle class Americans still live paycheck to paycheck for a lot of their major expenses, that their savings from the recession were diminished, or their children, the cost of their children's higher education has gone up since the recession, or they're helping out their elderly parents. And so what we're seeing is people are doing better for in the snapshot of the moment. But whether or not they fully recovered from the recession and they can weather another storm is quite a different question. And we need to build an economy that lasts for everyone with those basic building blocks of economic security, excellent education, ability to get higher education. And that doesn't necessarily mean a four-year college. It could be a community college and skills at a community college where then a young person would decide whether or not they wanted to go into a trade or they wanted to do something else. Making sure that we have health care, like Medicaid expansion. Making sure that people have access to transportation. All those basic things need to be job one of the government. Well, it sounds like you've been pretty plugged in over the past two years and haven't been disengaged. So I do want to wrap this up and move toward you yourself. In the coming years, do you see yourself uh, throwing your hat back in the ring and, and running for office again? Well, I'm certainly considering my options. And um, there are options in 2020. There may be options in 2022. So I'm keeping myself very active and trying to be as helpful as I can. There are a lot of people who have been in public service that um, do things that are more oriented to themselves. I'm much more interested in making sure that I move around the state, that I help people. I've been so fortunate to be able to work with a lot of young people like yourself who have been plugged in. Um, I have great clients and I like my job, but um, there, there's always a possibility of something in the future. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming by this morning, uh, making it through the rain, and hope to talk to you soon. It was a pleasure.